Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to New Books in Medieval History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Um, I'm Evans Arcadas, your host, and today I am here with Dr. Eleanor Yanega, a medieval historian at the London School of, of Economics, where she specializes in sexuality, propaganda, apocalypticism, urbanity, and empire in the late medieval and early modern periods. Well, at the same time, she operates the Going uh, Medieval blog and can also be found hosting medieval history programs on History Hit TV. Together with Eleanor, I'm also very excited to welcome Neil Max Emanuel, a creative motion graphic designer, animator, editor, storyboard artist, and a children's book illustrator, to talk about their recent and very exciting work, The Middle Ages, a graphic guide published in 2021 by Icon Books. Hello, Eleanor and Neil, and welcome to the show. Hello, thanks so much for having us. Hello. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, from the first time I touched this book, I was very excited and I really wanted to talk to you and have, a con- have the, this conversation on, on, on this podcast. So thank you for coming. <laughs> oh, thank you. Perfect. So um, I would like to start our conversation uh, with both of you telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, Eleanor, would you like to go first? Uh, Sure. So um, I I suppose that, um, as you said, you know, I'm a medieval historian by training, uh, which uh, means that, you know, obviously I spend all day long thinking about all of these things. But um, one of the things that I think we really kind of struggle with as medieval historians a lot of the time is getting our work out to the generalized public. And that was sort of of the idea behind uh, behind this particular book. Part of that is also that I am in my spare time a giant nerd for graphic novels. So <laughs> it was uh, it was a really nice kind of opportunity to take you know my professional expertise and mix it with something that I just always kind of wanted to try because it's one thing reading comics all the time and it's another thing to try your hand at making it. But sort of the idea here was that I wanted to get out into the world a really good primer of what I thought people just kind of need as a 101 introduction to medieval history. So it's based on what I teach first years in survey classes. Like when I just want to get 
across sort of like the bedrock foundations and structures of the medieval period. Here's what I want you to know. And can we do that with some pictures so that people will hopefully take it on board, I guess. But so, yeah, for me, it's kind of a labor of love, um, but it comes out of, you know, my my own just interest in medieval history as well as comics generally. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, yes. And ha- how about you, Neil? Uh, yeah. So um, I, I do a whole bunch of stuff which kind of... Uh, it- overlaps um but my goal is always to try and um end up doing drawing <laughs> that's that's my rhythm <laughs> my, basically my resin d'etre really that's that's what i want to be doing but like um so uh, i've got this uh, background as a motion graphic you mentioned before motion graphics um i work for um i don't know if you you know a tv show called time team if you come across that at all, it's um, quite a famous um, show in the UK about archaeology. Uh, it's like a, they, they cover a three-day dig, and um, uh, and it's a bit of an institution. Um, and I worked for them for about 10 years uh, doing their motion graphics and, and I did a lot of other historical documentaries. So I was kind of steeped in this world. Um, and then I, you know, I've done children's books and I've done, uh, illustration and storyboarding. And so, you know, other things which really were bringing out my desire to draw. Um, and I, I, I kind of got lucky really, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll go on to sort of talk about it in a bit, but, um, uh, I got the opportunity to work with icon books and actually one of my big, big passions, uh, again, like it's like you, Eleanor, one of your big passions is, as you were saying, is comics. Um, something that I, I grew up with that I, I just was, that's what I read. That's how I understood the world. Um, and, uh, yeah, this was one of those opportunities where I could sort of scratch that itch and start doing like a nice big book with lots of nice comic style cartoon illustrations but it still was in uh, the world of history history uh particularly medieval history because that, that was an area where um i started to actually get a, a lot more work um it's just weird how certain things find well i say certain things found me you know uh, I've done probably more illust- um, medieval illustration than any other kind of other historical kind of illustration. And I really like the style because medieval illustration has that kind of look, uh, that cartoon look, you know, it's very iconographic and cartoony and stuff. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's kind of my potted kind of uh, background, really. Just a bit of this, bit of that, bit of this, bit of that. Lots of drawing. I also did um, drawing for uh, events and um, businesses. Um uh, and that was quite that was quite good. It's sort of as one of the the jobs I did for like three or four years, where it really helped me uh, to understand workflow, um, to understand how to kind of take a lot of different items, different illustrations, and kind of tell a larger story. And I've all I, I've kind of took that experience and I I even implemented it into you know our I mean I was doing it in our book, Eleanor. You know. Um, yeah, so there, there's an area where you have people who illustrate at, at meetings, and sometimes people call it scribing. So if anyone knows what that is, that's what I did. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting! Yes, and again, I, again, I really want to touch on all of the work that you did and the research. And uh, um, there's quite a lot of illustrations in there, and they're very, very. Um, what I like to say, you can get the whole story from the illustrations on on their own, and then you add mm. the text on top, and it's it's such a a um, it's such a work that you remember after you read. And uh, 
Um, I have not had a lot of experience with graphic novels. My first one was Mouse. Uh, oh, wow. a, oh, wonderful. For a Holocaust yeah. uh, course. Um, and then my second mm. one was your book. And um, it's opening this world for me. And uh, it's just so exciting. So exciting. And I see this more with academics now. I um, I work a lot with Byzantine uh studies and there is this new push to get uh as close to the public as possible mm-hmm. and uh your book i believe does that very well and that's that's great to hear how you both got to um do this so how did you uh come to work together how, how did that work out Ah, well, we we scouted for Neil. So I was in there first. Um, I kind of had the idea for writing uh, this particular book um, after a friend of mine, Meg John Barker, had written a similar thing for Icon, which was called Queer, a graphic history. Um, I was walking along with my friends and uh, we were all talking about how great it was. And uh, my husband said, well, why don't you write something like that? And I was like, you know, that's a great question. Why don't I? Right. So off I popped to um, pitch it and and write down my, my ideas for the book. Um, and then a couple months in, uh, Kira, our editor, our, our long suffering and sainted editor, um, <laughs> set out uh, looking for various artists to see um, who we would want to work with. And I got given all of these amazing pictures. And uh, Neil was the one where it, it, that was the one where I was like, oh, absolutely, this guy gets it. Because what I really, really wanted in terms of the look and feel was something that actually adhered really closely to medieval art. Um, I mean, and having said that, that's a, I realize that it's a ridiculous statement to say, oh, you know, medieval art, just a thousand years of art, no big deal. You know, all of just all of it. Uh, but um, Neil, because he already had his or in with time team and everything and kind of understood what some medieval aesthetics were, was really I, I felt like he would be able to take cues from medieval art, which is what I really wanted um, mm. him to be able to do. So, you know, I spent a lot of time like digging out picture references and I was like I need someone who's going to be able to put this on the page and uh, I could tell from his portfolio that he would be able to yeah I, I was really lucky to to work with you too Eleanor because I, I sort of um when I joined uh we had, we had our first meeting we we met at, um, a nice place uh called Somerset House and we kind of um it, you know I was introduced to you Eleanor and uh Kira a lovely editor um you know, it was it was really nice to meet people who you knew you could just tell. Um, with, you know, these are people I can kind of work with and mm. um, are going to be patient and understanding. It's quite it's quite a daunting prospect actually to to it's like 172 illustrations, um, and you know when you're doing artwork for a, an author, a writer uh, who pours their heart and soul to tell stories there's a certain kind of like pressure to kind of like make artwork <laughs> that lives up to those words um so yeah it can be you know yeah when, when we meet you know you have to have a bit of a poker face so you don't look like a complete uh you know novice oh, i'm really nervous about all of this but um there is a little bit of that going on um but but once we started working it um and i, I sort of found that um we worked out quite a good workflow and you mm-hmm. were always available and i think this was really important for good collaborations that you were available to actually go through the words with me uh, rather than expecting me to just take the manuscript away 
and figure out what things are. Because, um, I mean, although I have worked with a lot of historians over, I mean, more than a net, more than a decade, um, the the nature of how you work with them is doesn't really change. How you work with academics and historians and and eat why you know people with a body of of knowledge as you ask questions you, you you are the kind of the the everyday person asking you know i don't i don't profess to be an expert um it that that's why we're working together but what i can do is sometimes be that the lay person uh mm, in the foil mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's also useful for, i'm sure it's useful for you eleanor so you, you know um you know, we were able to kind of really communicate uh, and you were available to be able to kind of um, steer me, uh, help me with questions, with references, and actually actually, all the extras around the conversations about, you know, the, the material. Because mm. when we do, when we, talk, when we talk about paragraphs of, um, of the manuscript that you wrote, uh, sometimes it's nice to know, on the, you know, the extra bits around it, just as if it was a conversation that you were having with, with anyone, you know, because uh, mm. sometimes it, there's, there's those little extra things you can filter into the illustrations that uh, they're like, you know, could be like uh, what they call uh, like a, was it an Easter egg? You know? An Easter egg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, extra, <laughs> extra little special bits in there, you know. That, there are a lot of those there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, we we did. The, I think we did embed a lot of uh, unseen stuff or stuff that's not super significant, but it's there. You know, like like marginellas in ancient manuscripts. Yeah, um, you know, they have a significance, but they're kind of in the the margins. You know, that kind of thing. And I and I want to say that those uh, those are little details because you read the text and you move on to the to the to to the to the art and those little details I think it's what crack, crack me up most of the time I'm like oh <laughs> that works so well here <laughs> oh thank you that's great oh yeah so awesome yes yes so um that helps me a lot going into my first kind of like focus question on graphic novels and their importance. And I think we touched just a little bit um, mm. at the introduction and how, you know, how mainstream they can get uh, a story out uh, into the popular col- culture. And we've seen them grow exponentially in the past decade and e- even more. And um, I did some research and there is a lot of history historians and scholars out there that call these graphic novels the paradigm shift in how people learn about the past. Mm. Um, how do you see this this importance of this graphic novel, for example, for the Middle Ages, uh, being this, um, I, I, I want to say, like, beacon to teaching people that don't really get a lot of um, background or a lot of um, teaching on these subjects? Well, I think uh, th- that's a really great question because one of the things that I think is really special about this book, even if I do say so myself, is that with the illustrations, one of the things that we're really able to do is show people that medieval history isn't just like some kind of massively complex, really dull a kind of era that you don't need to look into. You know, one of the things that we're constantly fighting as medievalists is against, you know, this misconception of, you know, the quote unquote dark ages. It's like, oh, this is just a terrible time when everyone rolled in filth and then died of the plague and nothing ever happened and everyone hated science. You know, that's where we're up against that um, kind of caricature and, um, and misconception in everything that we do. So one of the things that the pictures 
are able to do for us, I think, is bring people in and show them, well, actually, this is something that's really fun. This is something that's really fun. It's really interesting. It doesn't have to be just um, dusty tomes full of Latin that are, you know, that that you don't feel connected to. And Mm. it also helps to kind of overcome this idea of people in the past as completely inaccessible in and of themselves. Um, You know, like we've got a lot of jokes in the pictures in particular where, you know, we've got we've got punchlines, you know, and we've got people who are kind of living daily lives and showing sort of average things that are happening. And it allows people, I think, to see themselves as a part of that narrative and say, okay, well, it's not just a bunch of kings. It's not just a bunch of popes. It's ordinary people as well. And they've got a rich, difficult, interesting life that I can relate to. And I think that this is one of the things that pictures really effectively does is bridge that gap between people living hundreds of years ago of being completely remote and that it doesn't have anything to do with you, I guess. One of the things about illustrations is that they're immediate and it helps people see themselves as well. Yeah, you can sort of hang your eye on a picture sort of thing. Um, I, I mean, just the vehicle of um, comics is, is uh, again, I, I'm a big uh, sort of uh, champion of the the art form, and mm. as, as you, I mean, you mentioned Mouse um, before, Evan. Uh, we we actually like we both really like Mouse. Um, Love it. We've got, <laughs> we've, got, we've got a lot yes. of comics in you know in common that we we really appreciate, um, and and Mouse is in our conversations has, has come up uh, uh, quite a few times, um, mm. and the, but the power of comics to be able to tell stories um is something that i I, i'm kind of pleased that a lot of the uh world of academia is uh looking toward because it's it's another tool in the in the arsenal of of uh, dissemination Mm -hmm. um it's the same with you know uh with a lot of there's i mean science communication is hugely popular now so why not history um exactly it's quite it's quite an interesting area i think we're we're, for history i think it's 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 kind of just starting to catch on because the i think you might have more contemporary stories like persopolis and 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 mouse Mm. but not not more ancient uh or older histories so really i mean for us it was it was a great opportunity to be able to to do uh like a book like this on on such a a wide-ranging topic and to have a, a like a almost like a uh as you say and like a, a first year's overview of um you know the major things that were happening within the medieval period not just in the uk but or you know but actually a, quite a wide chunk of the world because um mm. but yeah so comics really like is a is powerful and um to to be able to use that um for me is personally personally like for really fulfilling Yes, and I sh- I should mention that uh, um, I found your book uh, right after I finished TA for a medieval history first mm. years course, and I was I w- I remember saying to myself, oh my god, I wish I had this book to give to the students. They would have ah. been so much more engaged. They would have. Uh, I yeah. can imagine the conversations being just so more lively because the it's right on their level in many ways. Um, yeah. Not this this long primary source text and and um, again I thought that through through these depictions and through this text uh, that you have produced uh, um, historical accuracy it's actually really really Im- Im- important in, mm-hmm. in 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 a topic like this and um, 
I I got a lot out of it, you know, like reading a primary source, for example, uh, by watch by by looking one of your sketches. Uh, um, so it, it, it was it, it it was a moment for me to say that you know maybe I can use this in 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 class mm. uh, in, 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 in 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 the future, right? Yes. Use it, in, use it in universities and, yeah. <laughs> and schools. Well, I am kind of hoping in a way that it will provide a function there, right? Because I think yeah. that it's it's a good way of kind of getting uh, the building blocks in place. And then hopefully, you know, once once uh, an undergrad understands, okay, well, this isn't that daunting. I think I've got the basics of it. Then you can introduce them to a primary source and go, okay, given mm-hmm. this information, how do you think that this fits within everything else? And because yes. I think it's it's brief enough and because it's got all of these great pictures i think it's something that you really can put in front of an undergrad and be like all right okay you've got you've got an idea in your head now let's go back and say yeah well it's more complicated than that obviously obviously everything is more complicated than that and i mean i will tell you what it is a real challenge if you're like oh yeah just a thousand years of history in it's like 172 pages yeah. You know, and and uh, like the and the word limits are tight on something like this. But what that kind of allowed me to do was, uh, you know, kill your darlings. So it was a really uh, what, what what's the most important things? You know, if it's if there's a house fire and you can only get you know a hundred words per page uh, saved about this uh, particular topic of medieval history, what's it going to be? And that's kind of what the what what you get out of this, I think. And also, like, um, I, I think it makes it really super accessible for um, non non academics as well to kind of get their uh, sense of you know because it, it's it uh, it's actually helpful for me to remember certain because th- even though I I made the book uh, I do refer I, since I have referred back to it um, just because you you kind of it's quite nice to have there and oh yeah 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 um, I'd forgotten this bit oh of course it's it's in the book so um and, and like i say I, i'm i am actually speaking for as a um a lay person uh point of view really um and i find it usually useful uh so yeah uh i think it's it's um definitely uh will appeal to lots of different people mm. both in academic yes. i find i i think i find academic texts because i'm not in that world for me, it's quite dense and hard to learn about the subject. That's yeah. why, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, and 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 having a character like Constantine, for example, doing things like we do, like uh, in the twenty first century, acting in in a in a particular way that we will act like we we connect <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And um, you kind of, as Eleanor said, you can start with this and move into something more dense, uh, having these bases build up. Definitely, absolutely. Definitely. So let us um, dive a little bit about the book then. Um, and Eleanor, you brought me a great way to connect to that. You mentioned a thousand years of history in seventy in a hundred or so pages. Um, how did you um, look into this concept of medieval periods? How where did you draw the lines, and and how did you approach that for this book? Yeah, that's a really tough one, right? Because again, brevity is is really what it's all about in this one. So, you know, we had to focus on Europe 
pretty much um, now. Um, I think that there is still an argument to be made. Obviously, as academics, we're in the middle of really branching out what it is that we mean by medieval. And there's a lot of really exciting work do it, being done on the global. And I do make nods to that. I think, you know, we, we talk mm-hmm. about what's going on, for example, um, with uh, Genghis Khan. Uh, we talk about uh, how the Silk Roads work. We talk mm-hmm. about um, Africa and things like that. But I do think to an extent, we're still kind of working with the conception of medieval specifically on the terms of Europeanists, and I'm a Europeanist, so, you know, I've just, unfortunately, I just had to be like, that's what we're focusing on. But, you know, it makes sense because the way that um, I was looking at it is we're starting with the, you know, supposed, quote-unquote, fall of Rome, um, which in the West, which I don't agree with, to be clear. Um, I do not think that Rome fell, nor do I think that any, you know, person at the time would tell you that Rome fell. But, you know, that's kind of the traditional starting point mm-hmm. on one end. And then I think what we do a good job of doing on the other end is showing that there isn't really a clear cut way to say, well, we've stopped being medieval and we've hit the modern world. Because, you know, um, I'm a Bohemia specialist, right? So if you ask me, it's the Hussites. But, um, you know, I think that it's really easy to also say, hey, the fall of Constantinople, that's the end of the medieval period. Because once you have both centers of Rome fall, that's when you know it's really modern, you know. But hey, like, what about, um, you know, the the beginnings of the kind of like a transatlantic trade. How about that as a starting point? How about, you know, Martin Luther? There are all these things that you could bring up and it, we're never going to get to the bottom of that, right? Um, so I think that it was also a really nice opportunity actually to bring that out to audiences themselves and say, look, mm. these are arbitrary, right? You know, the, the idea of what is medieval is completely constructed by a bunch of historians to make our own lives easier. So, you know, if someone yeah. says to you, the fall of Rome, really most historians are going to be like, I mean, that's not real, is it? That's not a thing, you know. And so, if you could start from there, like introducing people to the idea that that's that's not actually something that um, would exist in the minds of people at the time, it makes it much easier to kind of get them ready for. I think the nuance that that comes with this, mm-hmm. like, so I mean, I don't think anybody on Earth is going to disagree with me if I tell you that the year, you know. 1175 is medieval but what do you think about like 1480 what do you think about uh 485 you know what what do you think about these dates and that's but that's a matter that we can all kind of take up and we can all debate that so yeah i'm afraid that i'm being really europeanist about it but i feel like europeans are the ones who started this so you know we're we're arguing within those limitations currently sometimes sometimes you've got to um wait if you're asked a question you you've got to give a, a some sort of answer this this used to crop up on the tv show that i was talking about because uh, experts would hate to be pinned down because of the, the nuance i made mm. note that they'd have certain other academics going yes but what about this and you haven't considered it and uh, you know uh, but then you know if you're doing an interview or you're making a book or you're writing you have to kind of uh lay something down um but I, I think we were able to do it in quite a nice way. In fact, uh, I think the way we dealt with that topic of when when did the uh, medieval period end, we, we were able to kind of use some of your colleagues. Yeah, um, we drew in I mean, actual colleagues of mine for to represent various strands of debate, which is kind of funny because it's not necessarily their own, always their ideas, but uh, I still thought it was quite funny to assign them roles. So I had to ask them all first. You know, I was like uh, talking to, for example, my mate, uh, Carissa Harris and saying, hey, is it okay if I draw you in for this? This is what I'm going to say that you're saying. And she was like, yeah, 
can understand why I would make that argument. And I was like, yeah. okay, good enough for me. Good enough, you know, I kind of like moving on from there. And then it was like, and oh, you, can, of course, can, yes. Can you get me your, can you get, get me their pictures so I know what they look like? Yes, so I'm like creepily getting photos of them all online. And yes, and, and then I'm there, of course, to represent for the Czech side of things, obviously. And, you know, the best, the best answer is <laughs> that the his site is when it ends. So. Well, I haven't heard that version yet, so I was I, I, I was interested to hear that. Um, and and I think that that ending was what what got stuck in my mind after I finished the book. It's such a such an interesting way to show to an audience about this whole messy de- debate, because um, we tend to think straight lines, periods, mm-hmm. ends, another begins. Um, and I think the graphics and the text work so well together, and. It, um, I think I want to use this kind of <laughs> format to teach others, you know, this is how it, it really is. It depends on who you ask and it depends um, the point of view. So, um, mm. yes, that, that was the, definitely a highlight from the book for me. Um, perfect. Um, so, as I mentioned, um, the, the book, again, as you, as you also said, uh, Eleanor, you, it has this European-centric uh, point of view, but... It has some other elements in there that I thought were amazing that you were able to include in there. Uh, and I'm talking about your chapter on the others. Um, mm. And you included in that category things that I, as a TA, did not teach to students or I did not see in many books um, when it comes to this introductory um knowledge to to people that are just getting introduced in this topic and you mentioned uh women of course sex workers homosexuals jews heretics uh, and lepers um and so tell me a little bit about your your thought process in this in in this specific chapter on the others and uh including these groups um in this wider story of the medieval period I think that this is, to me, a really important one, because one of the things that you can do, especially if you're sort of taking medieval texts from, you know, their own their own perspective, and if you just take them on board, then yeah, you know, this is a real history written by the victors. Oh, it's just a bunch of white, rich guys walking around and there's nobody else, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I think really keeps a lot of people at arm's length from talking or thinking about the medieval period, because they just don't see themselves as being represented. Um, so one, this is a thing that I've, I've certainly um, taught in the in the past to my undergrads, is uh, thinking about the other and how we kind of frame this. And it often comes up even within um, early modern courses, because, you know, a lot of things like, uh, you know, the conception of the persecuting society, quote unquote, you know, so you've got the persecuting society, which is uh, really, really attempting to keep, you know, everything on the straight and narrow, you know, as we would say, cishet white guys, and and this is the only the only people who are around the shop. But of course, medieval history is way more complex than that. And indeed, like the number of prohibitions, the number of rules, the number of things that we see come up over and over again show us that actually these people were all completely present. And I think that's a really important thing to talk about because you know in the first place you could almost be forgiven for thinking there were never any women in the medieval period it's like oh yeah like there's a eleanor of aquitaine and joan of arc and yeah there you go there's the two right those are like the two women you've heard of and um so you have to kind of broaden that out and explain why it is that 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 we came to this particular conception and i think that's a really interesting story because it's it's you know drawing on classical ideas you know aristotle is not 
unforgivable in <laughs> in this, you know. Um, but then, you know, the church picks that up and there are ideas of gender there. You've got to talk about that. I think it's almost impossible to really talk about the way that medieval Europe is set up as well without talking about Jewish people, because it doesn't make any sense from a commerce standpoint. And at the same time, you know, in the, here we are now in the 21st century, and we're still just wading through puddles of anti-Semitism everywhere, right? Um, And people don't really even understand where these terrible tropes come from about Jewish people that we kind of pass around all the time. And it's, you know, the medieval story about Jewish people is so incredibly intrinsic in that and understanding, you know, why it is that Jewish people were incredibly connected to finance and banking, why it is that this came about. You know, you have to understand usury. You've got to understand how Christian society sets itself up. Um, And I think increasingly we're starting to look and see more queer topics within the medieval period. Um, Obviously, you know, no medieval person ever thought they were queer. They just thought they were, you know, perhaps sodomite. Uh, But it's really nice to kind of talk about that too and get that out in front of people and say, okay, well, Mm -hmm. The way that we describe ourselves or think about um, our sexuality, our gender, and these things are constantly amorphous and changing all the time. So here is a great way of looking at that. Um, And I think also I always try to get um, sex workers in there as well because, um, you know, it's one of my areas of expertise. And I just think they're so interesting, Um, like especially from uh, the point of view of if you want to talk about women's history, because here is one of the only groups of quite – Well, I mean, they're not always impoverished, but here's a group of impoverished women who are kind of making their own way in what is very much a man's world. And it's a great way of studying what the options are for women of the lower classes. And that's what really interests me about them. Um, And I think that also sometimes people just think that like, oh, yeah, sex work, that's something that we invented just now. And it's like, well, no, no, not exactly. And um I think uh, talking about lepers is always really, really interesting uh, for tons of religious reasons. But so I bring up all these particular groups because these are people that you see come up time and time again. It doesn't matter where you go, you know, in medieval Europe, unless it's kind of like post the expulsion of the Jews in in Europe, you're going to come into contact with all of these groups, right? These are going to be people who are around the shop and who are an ordinary part of everyday life, but they think about themselves differently. Society has constructed itself in such a way to other them and kind of keep them as outcasts while at the same time requiring them, right? Because the stories of all this is like, well, you know, people are still going to have leprosy no matter how poorly you treat them. And oh, also look, this is an opportunity for rich people to pat themselves on the back for how nice they are to people with leprosy. You know, um, women, turns out, half the population, who knew? Um, Jewish people, it's, well, you're still going to need money, Len, aren't you, homeboy? So, like, here you go. Here are the people who are doing it. And, you know, sex work is considered absolutely necessary. So it doesn't matter how you feel about it, right? And that is one thing that I think is really, that we have in common with the medieval period, is we still love to other people, but they're still there all the time. And they're still kind of weaving themselves in and out of the fabric of our society. And I think it's so important to talk about um, social constructs like othering, how they work, and mm. what how we bring them into being. Because fundamentally, social constructs are real, but we constructed them. So until we see the history of them, and we really confront the fact that these things are changing all the time, we're not going to unmake them. So I just think it's really, really important to 
have this conversation where there are always these, you know, for lack of a better word, flukes in in what is the idealized, you know, if you ask um, Thomas Aquinas, what's his ideal world look like? None of these people are going to be involved, but here they are. And they're still as much an important part of medieval life as anybody else. I think one of my favorite pages is is where we were able to kind of have that parallel between, you know, certain groups like people who have HIV and, and mm-hmm. lepers from the past. Um, you know, uh, I think that was that was a, a sort of a, a win picture uh, to just have that as part of our body of work. Um, mm-hmm. And also like the one of the uh, another reasons I, I sort of really enjoyed working with Eleanor is because you, you kind of use a, a feminist lens, I think, to um appraise and, and just you know it's so it's yeah i'm not it's not just a patriarchal kind of narrative um and and we're able to kind of do th- things which have maybe haven't been uh, well I, I can't really say say this for sure you guys would know better than me but really just um maybe take a, a slightly different look at um these kinds of people how they get treated um and to tell people about them in a much more um aware m- modern way i think you know yeah yeah and what were you looking um neil when you received the text uh just about the others now but that section what were you looking for when you were thinking about your illustrations uh, i was looking for a lot of references <laughs> um, but, so you know uh, it, it, for me uh, the imagery is uh obviously at the fore of my you know i, I need to know um how I should be drawing certain people. So we like, for example, um, Jewish hats, uh, mm. you know, trying to make sure I, I was able to kind of capture the essence of it, but, but also not buy into too It's quite tricky because when you're, when you're illustrating other, the others, you don't want to fall into tropes. I mean, like for, I've got a Jewish background. My, my family's Jewish and um, I mean, I'm, I'm a secular atheist sort of person, but you know, so I've, I've got a, ve- a very sort of st- a stake in not portraying Jewish people in a, a derogatory way, you know, in a, a positive way, uh, especially historically. Um, but, you know, but there's some things that you might want to kind of get is like, so, you know, there's different ways that Jews were represented and and this is trying to find the balance between honoring how the artwork was portrayed without making it kind of insulting. Um for the, I mean I'm talking about the others here. Um but there, there were lots of like opportunities to embed. I mean like I, I remember when we were doing um drawing prostitution and prostitutes um uh night workers and all that kind of stuff that um you know the the scarves were black and white striped mm-hmm, uh, and mm-hmm. you know there were su- details that that needed to be in- included and you know is but uh, I, I would need to also also find examples of this artwork uh, sometimes it would be like uh, i i get um a few references from you eleanor but then sometimes i'd need to dig a bit deeper and i sort of like started to build up add to my database i already had a database of medieval imagery um like whenever i work on medieval projects i kind of like just add to it uh so like animals uh what you know i've got like a folder called cats (laughs) so (laughs) i've I've now got a folder called owls (laughs) because uh you know there was a a a few times that i needed to draw owls so um yeah it's kind of um really like just trying to find um 
good references that I could riff off of and hybridize. Sometimes I, I'd, I'd take um, a couple of different ref- references and conglom them together to make a, a, a hybrid image. Um, that's, that, that's how you can kind of, uh, I could tailor, tailor it to our whims or our, our needs, um, but just take a little bit from here, a little bit from there, a little bit from there. So all these like three or four different locations, locations, different illustrative periods perhaps, or, um, but, make it make it one picture so i've I've done that quite a few i mean that's one of my tricks i don't know if you call it tricks but like one of the things that i i i've done it with um it's a funny thing because i remember when i once had to draw vladdy drackle um oh yeah my, our good in friend my, <laughs> in my head i had a an image that didn't exist for some reason i think i'd seen three or four different images from the past uh, one was a painting, one was, uh, you know, I'd seen one in a comic, I'd seen, you know, uh, and uh, it, it just didn't exist. So I think I found all the images that I'd seen uh, through my research, and then I made the picture in my head uh, that I thought existed, oh, I love that. which was, which is like perfect. And so we we did a lot of that. Uh, um, yeah, I, there were a few pages where um, I was... Uh, oh, I've, I've got to go through the book again. Uh, it just escapes me. But one of the kings we were drawing was like it was. Uh, there was like three or four different representations. And sometimes, what well, this is an in, another interesting thing when you're trying to draw kings is sometimes you find paintings uh, from different periods and they look totally different because when they're young they don't have beards, and then when they're old they have beards. And uh, a lot of old beardy kings look pretty much similar. But <laughs> <laughs> it's quite nice sometimes just to. Go. So it's like, well, which one do you go for? Which one mm. would you represent? And and usually I go for the one that is the maybe the archetype, just because it's maybe going to be maybe more recognisable. So you know, if you were like talking about Henry VIII, I know it's a different period, but Henry VIII, then um, you know, uh, which would it be a young Henry VIII or would it be the older sort of more portly Henry VIII? Henry VIII, it's probably be the latter, so people know who it is. But then there could be a reason why you might go for the younger just to be a bit more subversive maybe we're talking about like because people don't talk about the uh young henry the eighth as much as they do the old henry the one who got married i don't know there's there's all these sorts of things flying through my head when i'm i'm uh drawing these things so, so it's just very similar for the others that that you know it's like oh how can we subvert some of the the pictures from maybe what we expect we should be doing some things which are um, actually a bit unexpected um, mm-hmm. turning things on that turning the situations on its head and you know looking at a, you know the the cup upside down rather than right side up uh, all that kind of stuff oh my god yes that <laughs> sounds like a lot of work yes um and yeah the last thing on that se- section i think it's a, I, I again as i mentioned it's it's a, it's a section that you're not going to see a lot in survey courses especially for freshmen for example for college or for anybody that just starts to learn about these topics so i mm. thought that it was it was just an And again, as as you mentioned, Neil, it was an important section for my perspective to be well well represented uh, if it's somebody's first time looking and learning about this. Um, Yes, and and again, I really liked that it was included. That it was included. That I'm, that was I'm my. I'm so thing. glad to hear you say that because that's my absolute baby in terms of yeah. what uh, what got in there. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, no, yes. that was that was a win. I I I think there there are quite a few pages in there. Really enjoy. I, I enjoyed drawing uh, the the nuns in love. Um, yeah, yes. and, <laughs> that was uh, that was real. That was like a a jigsaw puzzle that I was drawing there. It's really <laughs> yeah, that one's really gorgeous. So Incidentally, fun. yeah, that you're one of the the Jewish communities too is one of my favorite illustrations where you've got um you took a really great um picture of a bunch of Jewish scholars debating yeah. and then we've got a map of major jewish communities um on top of that and i just think it's really gorgeous yeah that's a good example actually of like um you know how do i depict because what we used for i think the icons i've got to double check this but i think this is what i did so what we did for the the, the sort of the locator icons of the different jewish um settlements or places where they you know cities that they they were living in um i yep. you know I, I needed to make icons and it seemed like a star of david uh, icon yeah, would that's make the one. sense yep. but um Again, you don't want to do it in a way that is. I mean, like it, it, you can you can do these things in a way that's tasteless, like you know the yellow stars shown from uh, that the Jews yeah. had to wear in during the, the Nazi period. So there, there are things that like how do we do this so that it's kind of you know um, the tone is right for for this. Um, yeah, I, I mean, again, I enjoyed that. That, that was that was we that was a, a pretty much a map page. So it's quite nice to kind of mix up how we, we portrayed map. maps come up a lot in my career. Uh, and uh, there were quite a few maps within um, the book. Um, and I think we, early on, we, we kind of uh, started to nail the style of the map. And I think that really helped. Um, but sometimes, you know, uh, it's, it's like, how can we make them, the maps fit the, the pictures more, maybe get, get it, get the maps, not just being maps, but actually part of the picture. Sometimes they're telling the story. So there, there'll be a, uh, I think there's, uh, is it the, is it the Normans? Oh, there, there's some kind of invasion happening. And then yeah, the, it's the, we have one of the Normans cause we had to show everywhere they went. And then, uh, and then which was, was everywhere Jesus. we had, a, I, I was able to introduce a Jesus walking on water saying, I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting involved. It's something like that. Does that make sense? Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. I think that was with the religious, uh, <laughs> section. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, I'm like, Oh, I get to draw Jesus walking on water. <laughs> <laughs> so something you don't get to do very often. I, exactly. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm questioning. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Um, so on your part, Eleanor, um, what kind of research went on your end um, putting these pieces together? Because I'm, I, I, I want to guess that it was hard trying to get all yeah. of this knowledge. <laughs> it really, really was hard trying to get everything in. Um, so what I sort of set out to do in the first place was establish, um, I suppose, what I would call the structures or the highlights of the medieval period. So I had to talk about kind of changes in power structures. Um, talking about the the church and its rise and how it, it kind of uh, changed over time. Um, there were certain things like monasticism comes and goes. So I've got to introduce the concept of monasticism and then reintroduce uh, later on the mendicants, things like that. Um, and so it was a, kind of the first thing that was the process of picking down what are like the common threads that really unite this entire period together because we can't just say oh it's the bit when between rome like that's that's not fair so you know if if we do say that this is one amalgamated uh timeline then what are the things that make it so and and so it was a process of of elimination from there um 
But then there are also sort of things that I think really pick up from each other, you know, so for example, you can talk about the Vikings and then that when you come to the Normans later, which you need a bunch of maps for, then that's kind of like a natural progression Mm. of those things because, you know, as we know, our Norman friends had quite a lot of, you know, a Viking in in there as well, which which set them up. So um, there are, I think, these kind of constant callbacks as you move through the medieval period that help you help to remind you of those things now i also had to make sort of of, uh, conscious decisions about not including some things so you know when you're talking about for example the crusades we leaned really heavily into talking about the first crusade because you know uh that's sort of like the most interesting one. We, we, you just can't say, all right, and now it's time to talk about every single crusade because now you've got a comic book that's just about the crusades. That's it. Congratulations. You know? Um, so what so we had to book. do, you'll never catch your girl doing the crusades. It's not going to happen. Um, so it, it's, it, what you I, we had to do that is say okay well here's the crusade and by the first crusade and by the way the reason that we're going so heavily into the first crusade is this is the only successful one and every single other one is just a process of trying to kind of like recapture that grandeur so we refer to the fact that other crusades are happening that's something that we bring up but we never dwell on it again in that same way so because there just isn't enough room. Uh, but we will, for example, spend some time, you know, we talk about Charlemagne and then we talk about the Atonians and then we kind of talk about, you know, the Holy Roman Empire as it gets set up. So, you know, there, there are certain points that you have to, that you have to flip through. Um, and then it was a matter of doing things like, oh God, then I had to really look into the Autonians. Oh no. <laughs> you know, and uh, even as uh, for someone like me, who's a Holy Roman Imperial specialist, I was like, ah, oh, really? You know, and had to like go digging around in there. So, um, but of course there's fun things within there. It's like, everybody likes the walk to Canosa. You got to talk about that. So it's like, what are also going to be these stories that set you up for like um, the biggest, most fun stories that we can pin to bring an audience in as well because you know everyone want to hear about an emperor walking around barefoot in the snow and getting like uh locked out by a pope that's a very funny story that's a great story that really encapsulates things so it's like even if i did have to figure out a lot of stuff about henry the fowler that i wasn't necessarily really thought i'd sign up for it paid off in the long run um so yeah there there's a lot of kind of reading around things where i have you know um everyone's got that 101 kind of sure the medieval yeah you know i'm a medievalist yeah i know about that but you know i had to go in and really look in more detail about those things so that i could make sure that i was treating them well enough that they make sense in the overall narrative if that makes sense yes and there's some there's there i thought there were some chapters in there that were more like like heavy in um text or or maybe Mm -hmm. or trying to cram as much as possible and some others were more like flowing uh and um yeah and i'm I'm assuming that was part of that as well exactly because it it would sort of like if you put someone through i think if you put especially your average reader through a really dense information thing you then need to like carry that flow on narratively you need to give them a break you know like let them have a little period where they just understand okay all of that has kind of settled in my mind and now we're moving on to the next thing here's how we move on you really kind of have to establish an ebb and flow with things like that Mm -hmm. because it just cannot be information 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 but 
unfortunately, at the same time, there's going to be times when you just have to say, here's a bunch of information about the Crusades. Sorry, guys. You know, <laughs> that's just, there's no way of getting around it. And so a big part of the process is picking and choosing those moments, picking and choosing where it is you go, you go all in on information. Now, this comes back to like uh, the fact that we're doing it is a comic book uh, or, you know, it's an illustri- illustri- a hugely illustrated um, book that um, we're able to kind of um, filtrate some of the information into certain flows across the page so it isn't so dense also that there is a like a that there's the the beat and rhythm of the story telling through words but there's also the 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 same or or a complementary hopefully complementary um narrative running with the pictures and the way the pictures and have been designed across the page and sort of leads you along so I mean, that was something we worked with quite a lot in our mm-hmm. in our sessions was uh, composition to to make sure that, that you know that it did make sense with the way. it was quite it's quite in a way it was quite hard hard thing to do because um, uh, I'd I'd kind of take paragraphs and um, I'd have to kind of guess how what how big those paragraphs would actually be in the printed book and I, I think I over I got it slightly wrong but like. But basically, generally, we were able to kind of um, fit the pictures, not around, but integrate the pictures with the words so that mm-hmm. it wasn't, they weren't two separate entities. They they kind of would hopefully work together uh, and, and occasionally, you know, really like embed some of the words as uh, as part of the picture. Yes. And I think that's that's uh, that's like one of the better qualities of of, of doing this one, once again. Um. We're coming close to our time, and I want to get two really important questions from me. And um, in the last line of the book, um, for better, in the, the last line of the book says, "For better and worse, the Middle Ages are still very much a part of our world. Ignoring mm. them means ignoring ourselves. We can do better." Can you explain this uh, a little more? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I one of the things that I think about um, in terms of the historiography of medieval history is that we tend to ignore it for specific and often like colonial reasons, right? You know, we ignore the medieval period because we are really invested in telling a story of society, quote unquote, or the world, quote unquote, is better when it's being run by really violent, you know, colonial imperial groups that uh, surprise surprise run on the backs of slavery you know we're really invested in telling that story where it's like rome was great oh everything was wonderful in rome we had was 40 percent of the italian peninsula enslaved sure but but wow the Colosseum, what a nice time um and you know i've literally had people um in in real life tell me that it was better to be a slave in rome than live anywhere else on earth at that time and be free Oh, my God. Um, Which, you know, I think that all of these slaves who were constantly having revolts would argue against. But there's a reason that our uh, our idea of history collectively is there was Greece and then there was Rome, something, 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 Magna Carta, something, 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 something. Oh, Columbus has discovered, quote unquote, the new world. Look at that. And then, you know, we establish some more massive slave empires. So we ignore medieval history because it's inconvenient. And it doesn't tell a story where um, Europeans are violently dominating the rest of the world. It tells a story where Europeans are like, hanging out, guys, and 
just kind of like uh, muddling along. And well, I mean, I say muddling along, actually, you know, it's a, it's a time of a real, uh, you know, intellectual um, vigor. There's a lot of things that come out of the medieval period, just in terms of inventions, like let alone philosophy that are absolutely staggering. But the point is, there are perfectly wonderful, um, complex and connected lives to be had in the medieval period. But we don't tell that story because it's not a story where white people dominate the world. And the minute white people do dominate the world, then, oh, hey, suddenly, hey, history is good again. But we still have the structures from the medieval period are very much a part of our lives. Like, you know, we still really like to indulge in othering, uh, for example. Mm. We still really do kind of look to these same power structures. You know, here, uh, you know, Neil and I live in the UK. We still have a queen, you know? Like, we- <laughs> We we still we still have these things that we're, we're living under here, um, which yeah, it's, it's easy to forget about. So got a jubilee coming up, haven't we? We sure do. So you know, <laughs> oh um, we're hoping for a couple of days off. All right, hey. Uh, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. We've also oh, yeah. got a prince in dis- uh, in disgrace. We got, we as got well. a prince in disgrace. We got it all right. So you know, <laughs> the, 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 ignoring medieval history and acting as though you know that's just a long time ago and you don't have to pay attention to it and also it was bad. It's a political choice that lets us off the hook for our own bad decisions and you know the own choices that we're still choosing to make as we go along so i think until we really confront medieval history and the way that our past has shaped us we're not admitting how it is that we got to the point that we're at now yes that is something that as also a medieval historian in training uh, it's it's something that you know so such a tough talk topic to really think about and and you know put out there so when we were making the book it was um basically um through the trump administration um yeah <laughs> so he, he, he does pop up <laughs> at the, at, he, you know, there, he, <laughs> he's in the book too yeah he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh so that, well, that, that, that that was like you know we were able to draw some analogies you know that's the that's the thing yes Mm-hmm. Yes, and I thought that page, uh, that's page 174, I bookmarked it. Uh, it was, it was. I think it hit home as well, because that's where the last line is as well. And you have yeah. this uh, modern concepts and then uh, medieval ones, and you contrast them. Mm. And yes, that's yeah. all, all the money, as I say. That's right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Um, one fun question now. Um, which one? Which one was your favorite part in the book? either sketches or topic. Okay, so I, I've got an answer for both of these. So my favorite topic is others, uh, but my favorite sketch is um, it's the Vikings one where um, Neil's got this really great river that goes, I think it goes okay. over three pages. So it's like you turn the page and the river's still going um, and you've got a Viking ship that's going along the river and I yeah. just think it's so gorgeous. Um, and we worked really hard on that layout and I think it really, really came together. So that's my number one picture. Uh, but yeah. my uh, number one topic is always going to be talk about the little guy. I just love it. I think I'm the same. I think the others, yeah, uh, in terms of topic. Um, but I, uh, one of the things that I kind of like, um, I was one of the one of my proudest moments in the book is actually not pictures. I got a chance to do uh, a poem about Abelard. Uh, I, I don't even know if I'm, say, I'm saying that right, Eleanor. But, yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> Peter Look, he's <Abelard>. learning. <laughs> I know. Get me. <laughs> but uh, I got to do some poetry and some words. Uh, so that's that's my that's my um, 
writing contribution to the book. Um, and I don't think you were expecting that at all, Eleanor. No, like, I wasn't. No, and so, I really uh, like that. And it's a strange topic to do a poem about, to be honest. But <laughs> I, just, I simply love making fun of Peter Abelard. So, you know, that's that's my hobby. <laughs> that's kind you of know, how I felt. Yeah. Call, I call me St. This... Bernard of Clairvaux because I'm out here making fun of Abelard. He sounds that's a medieval unbearable. history joke. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i, I think I, I quite enjoyed your you know uh, also i got to draw um neil degrasse tyson uh and yes, stephen yes. hawking so uh yep. you know those those uh that that was quite nice too <laughs> the, the, those are the tiny d the funny tiny details that you kind of have to pay attention to them it's like is that really him <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well that's great uh my favorite one it's not anything big it was just a little tiny one um mm-hmm. talking about charming and uh being crowned the emperor and i studied byzantium and you have this awesome sketch where in the west he's count emperor of the romans and in the east the empress is in fume oh, yeah. <laughs> i'm the emperor of the romans and i thought that sketch encompassed everything that i studied in the past years oh, yes please. i love i absolutely love to hear that yeah i thought that one was uh, really quite funny because i'm just i'm obsessed with pointing out uh i'm always like eastern rome eastern rome i'm a real i'm a real nerd about it i'm like no 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 eastern rome no we're not saying yes. Byzantium today so yes big, was- that's that's another topic yes <laughs> it, was, it was nice to draw like uh, uh as eleanor you were saying like uh to draw more women in in the book as well mm. yeah yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of so i think that was that was like again it was like oh you know because, and actually that's quite hard to find female references through his it's harder so to, to to kind of see what the clothes were like and what the very you know for the period so yeah and what certain status period people you know mm-hmm. if you're drawing an empress uh, you know what would she have looked like in that period you're more likely to find maybe emperors and stuff so that's kind of cool yeah uh, I'm glad you liked uh, well, absolutely like, yes yeah thank you well um, Eleanor and Neil uh, we've taken a lot of your time and I thank you very much for that um, I would like to ask you the last question before you go um, mm-hmm. what are you up to nowadays do you have any interesting projects that you're working on um, I do. So I am just in the last stages of um, editing a trade book, which is going to be out um, on Alan and Unwin next year. It is called um, it is called uh, The Once and Future Sex. It is a dissection of uh, women's roles in medieval society and what that means now. Um, and also coming up on Icon the year after. Um, I am doing a little uh, work with my friend um, Sarah Oberg Stradal, and we are talking about myths about the Renaissance in that one. So that should be good. Ooh, cool. yes, <laughs> perfect. Um, I, I'm, I've actually been um, uh, working on Time Team again. They they kind of uh, so the TV show uh, ran for like I don't know 1994 in the UK on Channel Four, um, all the way up to about. I think the last show probably went out around about 2013, 2014. And so it was in the public consciousness. Anyway, they started again up through Patreon. Um, and um, so they're, they're doing it more through like YouTube at the moment. Uh, so we actually made two two brand new shows last year. And I'm working on the graphics currently for one of them. So, I'm doing, so that's what, one of the things I'm doing. Uh and then, yeah, I've got a few uh, other comics I'm sort of working on. Um, again, through uh, kind of from an academic point of view, like taking academic work. But 
not history. It's actually more to do uh, with uh, dementia and dance. And so it's a slightly different kind of area working. And I've got another one as well, which is to do with perspective. So it's kind of, again, it's like sort of like music therapy, psychology. So they're quite weird, quite niche areas in a way. But uh, I get to draw fun pictures, actually, that, that you know, are quite strange and abstract so um yeah <laughs> well, that's exciting and uh best of luck for all of for whatever you have going on for the year um again thank you for being on on the show today i really enjoyed it and take care thanks no so problem. much take care <laughs>